TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. You talk about coaching tenures. We got to this yesterday. We didn't have to spend much time on it. But Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan is destined to become the longest tenured coach in 49ers franchise history. He really is. He really is. I mean, he's he's got the first hurdle that any you know, concept of longevity kind of needs to be cleared. He's only 43 years old, and he just turned 43 in December. It's season number six for him already. If he gets through season number 10, he is the longest tenured head coach. He's already coached uh, 98 games. The only guy who's coached more than 98 games is Bill Walsh at 152. And Kyle's going to have 54 more games coached three years from now, and that's getting him through the contract that he's on. So it's going to happen. He is going to be the longest tenured head coach in 49ers history when it is done, unless something unforeseen happens. Now, we'll see what the overall, how many postseasons did you reach? Remember how scary the NFC West future looked just a little while ago man things are looking really different are they not i mean whether you believed in arizona's plan working together or not they just hit the reset button on the entire franchise so you can pretty much line item veto arizona from being a real threat even though they somehow cobble together good hard days of football for the 49ers no matter what the, the Arizona is a 49er pain in the rear end no matter who they are historically. We know that. But they're about to stink going forward. There's a lot of buzz about Sean McVay maybe stepping down. The Rams are going to go through a reboot. They're going to be in a little bit of cap hell without a lot of reinforcements coming from the NFL draft anytime soon. The Rams just regressed as dramatically as any Super Bowl hangover has ever allowed a team to regress. And as... Worst by two games, in fact. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, as, as we're sitting here giving you reasons to be a little bit worried about Seattle, and Michael Irvin, when he was on with us earlier this week, said, don't think this is just going to be an easy game. Seattle's not coming here to lay down and die, that's for sure. I think Seattle gives you a tougher game than even Green Bay would have given. When you're playing another division opponent, those are always the toughest games, man. There is no getting around that. You got to get ready to swap spit. That's what we used to say. Swap spit. You're going to be right up in there, right up on each other. You're going to There's going to be spit going. Because it's going to be face mask to face mask, and it's going to be physical. And Seattle, I think, gives you a more physical game. This is going to sound nuts to say about a team that is your playoff opponent on Saturday afternoon. 
but Seattle's promise lies in its future more than it does its present. We all know that. And at the same time, to getting to that bright, promising future, they're going to have a quarterback reboot at some point here, unless you really think this is now who Geno Smith is, and he's about to have this job for six, seven, eight years, which would be a shocker. So Seattle's about to go through a complete sort of, you know, revitalization, I guess, with all the draft picks they're going to get through Denver. And I don't know if they're just going to be smoothly continuing on, but Pete Carroll's a hell of a coach, as we've been demonstrating. He goes to the playoffs almost every year. But all of a sudden, who's sitting prettier than the 49ers in the NFC West based on how they're built, who Shanahan is, the competition around them, which is officially across the board less scary than it was not even 12 months ago. Oh, no question. I mean, people have been waiting for Kyler Murray to arrive, and the only thing he's actually accomplished in Arizona is the ability to hire the next coach because they've said they're going to put him in the room when those decisions are made. Other than that, the Cardinals are what the Cardinals have always been. And this year, for all the talk about how they've always given the 49ers problems, they lost 38-17 and 38-10. Or 38-13 and 38-10 to the 49ers. So they're back in eclipse. Um, the Rams, you know, whether McVay leaves or not, they're going to be bad for a while unless they're going to all of a sudden try to recoup all those draft picks they gave up because they basically are aging out. There's no getting around that. Um, and Seattle, they're going to have to replace Geno Smith in a year or two, whether he's playing well or not, because he's entering his 33-year next year. 33-year-old quarterbacks don't tend to last very long. And a guy with his resume, which has been flatlined up until this year, has an excellent chance to regress. Um, so, no, the 49ers are in as good a position as anybody in any division is because you know the AFC South and the NFC South they 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 stink top to bottom the NFC East is a bear now um if you believe in Detroit then they and Minnesota are going to dominate the NFC North um the AFC West is still Kansas City's uh but the Chargers are a factor now uh the AFC North is always a, a pig fight no, the 49ers probably have the easiest divisional road to hoe, certainly for next year, maybe for the year after that. Because anything after two years, you're talking at your ear hole because you don't know what's going to happen. Twelve months ago, we were talking about the NFC West. Man, this is just going to be a dogfight. I mean, it's going to be the NFC West and the AFC West because, hey, the Raiders are on the come. The Chargers are on the come. And don't forget about the Denver Broncos now with Russell Wilson. They could go to the Super Bowl, for goodness sakes. Wrong, 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 wrong. The promise of the NFC West gets huge demerits based on the outcome of this year. Yes, everything can change quickly. But what is amazing for the 49ers is they have, like what you said earlier, you used the word continuity about something. And I can't remember if you were joking about that or, or, or what, how, how you brought it up. If you were, I, But you said continuity, and that's what the Niners actually have with a head coach. Um, the vast majority of the roster, which was here last year, here this year, obviously, and is already under contract to be back next year. 
So there is an awful lot of continuity just offered in that. It's sort of a luxury, Ray. And it sounds nuts, but it's the truth. It's sort of a luxury to where if your rebuild in any year is more along the lines of your own coaching staff than it is your roster. And that's what Kyle Shanahan's biggest problems have been. I got to replace a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator, an offensive whatever they called, you know, McVay or uh, McDaniel's officially. I mean, I think he was a quarterback's on. coach. Yeah. So, you're going to have to rebuild your staff probably, you know, D'Amico Ryan's side of the ball at the very least. Like that's when I hear about Vic Fangio thinking of coming back, I would have Vic Fangio's name on my list if I were Kyle, only because I know that here's here's a guy, if he really does want to coach again, probably wants to coach for another two or three years, which means I'm going to get him for two or three years because Vic isn't going to be jumping at the next head coaching job. He never really wanted to be a head coach. He couldn't say no to the opportunity and the money in Denver, so he said yes to that. I don't think he wants to be a head coach again. Hell, he's willing to go back to Denver again if you believe some of the rumors about Vic Fangio. That, to me, would be the guy, if I were Kyle Shanahan and I had to replace D'Amico Ryans, if I'm not doing it in-house with another young player or, or a young guy on my staff, Vic sounds like a real good idea to me because he's not going to be leaving on the next train out of town. Yeah, but we saw in New England what happens when you keep going back to the same well over and over again. They have a terrible staff now because Bill Belichick hired from within endlessly to the point where he had his old defensive coordinator, coordinator become his offensive coordinator this guy's out of place. Yeah, but a lot of guys are out of place. Vic Fangio, yeah. as defensive coordinator, is perfectly placed. No, he I, was great which I get, in Denver. But one of defensively, the, yeah. But one of the things that Kyle Shanahan knows, having built a number of staffs and having been on staffs that his father built, is that you don't have to go to the same guy over and over again. The only guy who was a carryover year after year with Mike Shanahan was the offensive line coach Alex Gibbs. Everybody else, they came and went because it's a trans it's a transient business. And sometimes you need a fresh look at what you're doing. And I think that's one of the reasons why more coaches who get hired now who are younger like to go with younger assistants because they want fresh looks. There's always maybe one old guy, but right now Kyle Shanahan is kind of the old guy. You know, I mean, the turnover has been such that, you know, he's now by far the, the old man in the room at age 46. 43. 43. See, he's aging by the minute. <laughs> so I, I, whether or not he hires Vic Fangio is almost beside the point. Because what he is, without getting credit for it, is a guy who understands defense conceptually. This is what I want. This is how I want it. I want a great defensive line, and I will draft guys I don't need at that position to make sure I do, and I want linebackers. He will let some things slide. He'll let the secondary slide some because he believes just philosophically in great front line, great linebackers. And he's had that in three of the last four years, all of which he's gone deep in the playoffs, or two in which he's gone deep in the playoffs, the third starting this year. So I think he understands more about defense than he lets on. And, you know, D'Amico Ryans was a bit of a stretch when they hired him, except that he fits perfectly because he shares Kyle Shanahan's philosophy. Well, they got a ton of talent, and he was he was the, the next guy coming. I mean, it felt like a fait accompli because of just the way he had relationships 
with the players and it was just gelling and it worked a lot of ways. Uh, to me, if I were at some point, if I'm Kyle, hitting the reset button on my coaching staff every year, if that's the only reset button that I really have to hit, boy, it'd be nice if I didn't have to hit that every single freaking year or every other year. I, I, to me, Fangio would be worth it only because we know that he is... He's like a Monty Kiffin type. He's like a Wade Phillips type. Like, you know, yeah. the old man still knows what he's doing. And somebody says, no, not Fangio. He runs a 3-4 D. This is set up for a 4-3. I bet you he can coach both ways. He probably can. But, you know, I, all I'm saying is I, w- I wouldn't bother me if they hired him, you know, philosophically. But I think Kyle Shanahan is at the point in his career that he doesn't necessarily need the old hand in the room the way he might have when he was just starting. In fact, the way he did. Sure, I'm looking at it as a luxury item, not a necessity. Yeah, see, I think I think if he sees a young guy who shares his philosophy, he's more likely to do that than go back to Vic Fangio, as good as Vic Fangio has been. He might just say, you know what? I don't need to rely on the old hand in the room anymore. I bet he talks to his father about football a lot less than he used to, too. He's got the philosophy he wants. He's got the players he wants. He's got the the staff he wants. And I'm not sure that he definitely wants to, you know, revisit old things when there are new things to learn. By the way, we correct mistakes in real time. I said that that Super Bowl started terribly for Peyton Manning and the Broncos when Jeff Saturday snapped the ball over Peyton Manning's head. Jeff Saturday was not on that Broncos team. Very good job. Good catch. Uh, I I still associate Saturday with Peyton Manning. Well, then why did he deliberately center the ball over Peyton Manning's head if he wasn't on the team? Exactly, which is a very good point that was brought up. By me. Well, uh, yeah, I guess so. But the point is... No, what I'm saying is Jeff Saturday's, you know... He was not on the team. He still snapped the ball over his head. That oh. seems egregious to me. It, well, I mean, he had to do it from far, far away. Uh, he wasn't shotgun after all. Let me quickly let you know that we've got much more coming up with Peter King all over the NFL at 5 o'clock. We do have a return of Steph Curry, and we have an au revoir to Brandon Belt. Maybe one of the least appreciated, most successful, and tenured Bay Area sports entities we've had in our lifetimes. That's what's coming up around the corner. Damon and Rattle here on 95.7 The Game. And the merch store is open. Check it out at 957thegameshop.com. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. 
or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. The game. We are streaming live on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash 957 the game. You can check us out. You can see what we're doing. You can chat with Otis Bird the third and the funky bunch going on over on the chat line. It is good to have you here today. And in about 40 minutes from right now, we got Peter King joining us talking about the weekend that was and obviously the monster wildcard weekend that is coming up. And it's really more than a weekend because we get a wild card game now on Monday night as well. So an awful lot coming up with Peter King at 5 o'clock here on 95.7 The Game. We still got a great Pete Carroll memory lane to walk down. Some raw data on the 49ers season. It's absolutely worth going over. Uh, you want to appreciate things in real time when you can, Ray. And obviously the postseason is a very, very fun time for, for fans and, you know, Having said all that, there are still people who are just going to be angry at what they see, no matter what, no matter how good it gets in any one particular moment. They made up their mind, and in their own mind, they need to be right. It was probably time to say thanks for the memories with Brandon Belt. I think we can all agree on that, right? Probably time to say thank you very much. If they could replace him, sure. I don't know if they have, though. I don't know if they have either. So that maybe made it the right time to come on back with a one-year offer for Brandon Belt, which, you know, I'm guessing he would have signed for undermarket value. He would have signed with the Giants for less than he actually signed with Toronto, but they weren't that interested. And I understand why. I mean, 34 years old, coming off a dreadful season when he hit 213. He had to shut it down with knee surgery. But Brandon Belt probably deserved to go out a little bit better than that, considering just the year before he had a career-high 29 home runs. I mean, sure, it's typical Brandon, very hot one day, followed by streaks of ice cold the next. Too many injuries, too many seen that before. I guess lingering resentment might have been the, the best way to describe the end for Brandon Belt. But for a minute there, Ray... He's a very, very important San Francisco Giant. There's no denying his importance in the overall team photo that is... He's he's one of the 35, 40 greatest players in the history of the franchise. He'll be remembered more fondly in the rearview mirror than he was here for a couple of reasons. One, he played a position that almost demands that you be a great power hitter, and he wasn't a great power hitter. And two, he had this gift for lousy body language. So he always looked sad. And I think that sort of just viscerally pissed some people off. He was hurt a lot, but I don't, I don't think rational people were going to hold that against him. I just think that they had expectations of him that weren't fulfilled because their expectations were of a different kind of player than he was. He told you year after year what kind of player he is. I hit line drives. I'm a great fielder. Most people want guys, first baseman who hit high flies, and whether they're good fielders or not almost doesn't matter to them. So it's a matter of perception more than it is reality. Somebody says or asks the question, 
On the Xfinity Mobile text line, was Brandon Belt better than JT Snow? Well, if two World Series trophies are better than none, yeah. And I think that he was, I think he's a more significant player in the history of the San Francisco Giants than JT Snow. JT Snow was an outstanding first baseman. Brandon Belt is probably a guy who could have, maybe should have, won a Golden Glove at some point in his career. He led the league in fielding percentage at first base, I believe, in 2015. But he wasn't the Gold Glove winner in that year, and he wasn't the Gold Glove winner in any year. I think that that J.T. Snow was more beloved was certainly viewed as cuter by by you know a lot of the ladies in attendance and has a lot of romance attached to his career and rightfully so. JT Snow is a great giant. Brandon Belt had greater impact on more successful teams than JT Snow did. I think he's a better giant, don't you? Um I I think the question of who the better giant was is at least debatable. Because they were both the same kind of guy, the the difference is that you know Snow is farther farther back in Giants history, and people don't spend a lot of time thinking about a decade ago. Belt is fresher in the eye, but I would say they are roughly equivalent. Um, they were both, like I said, exceptional defensive players, and they were both the same kind of hitter. Um, you sort of think of Snow as, you know, an angel, but he was only in L.A. for like four years. He spent the massive amount of his career in San Francisco. So Brandon Belt's about 12 years. Yeah, well. A dozen years in Giants, orange and black. That's a long time. A one-time yeah, all-star. Yeah, Snow did nine, so, you know, it's gradations of longevity. I, I think they're largely the same guy, to be honest. You know, I did see the comp on his baseball reference page, but it really is who he is. Imagine if Mitch Moreland only played for one team and that team won two World Series. That's Brandon Belt. Brandon Belt was Mitch Moreland, basically. Um, but he's he's a one-time All-Star in a dozen season with the Giants. He obviously was a big defensive stalwart on a team that won with pitching and defense, and he helped win two championships Brandon Crawford, officially the last man standing from the even year era. But boy, did he make things easier, Brandon Belt did, in the final year of the even year Bruce Bochy era when he did this, ending the longest playoff game in Major League history. Belt with a drive, hammered to deep right field, and that one is gone! Brandon Belt had been quiet tonight, held 0 for 6. And that is the perfect little ending for that highlight. Matt Viscursion all the way back on Fox Sports 1. That was the leadoff home run in the top of the 18th inning off Tanner Roark in Washington, D.C., which gave the Giants a 2-0 NLDS lead. It just made the whole trip to Kansas City easier because they were up 2 nothing, and they came back to close that out with Madison Bumgarner on the mound in Game 3. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that when you look at uh, Belt's baseball reference page, he, the most similar player to him in his last three years was, in fact, J.T. Snow. 
they are the they are the same guy. One's just older than the other. I look. I J T Snow occupies a place of romance and forgiveness for whatever faults he might have had in the mind's eye of Giants fans than Brandon Belt did. I was a matter of like I said, resentment. I think sort of defined the real working relationship the Giants fans had with Brandon Belt for a little while there. Um, I would also say this, Ray. We'll see if you agree with me on this or not. Not that we, you agree with me on much. But don't you think he's one of those guys who, and normally it's a, it's a tremendous attribute to be patient at the plate. Overly patient at the plate. He was either overly patient or overly aggressive. Like the sweet spot never really materialized in the middle there for Brandon Belt. He was either hunting way too hard and too much and striking out too often. And a lot of those were looking strikeouts, it felt like. I mean, I remember more looking Ks than than swinging Ks. Maybe that's bias coming up. But Brandon Belt was like patient to a fault at the plate. Well, he had the one year, 2016, where he walked 104 times, which is an extraordinary number in this era. And I think that marked him. But he also had, you know, you know, the second half of his career had the, the great bulk of his walks. But when he was making the biggest dent as a hitter, he had normal walk-strikeout ratios. I mean, you know, but he did have sort of in the mind's eye, why are you looking at that pitch? You've got to drive that. You're the first baseman. And he wasn't that first baseman. He was just he was a you know a slightly more powerful version of Mark Grace. You oh, know? stop. No, 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 no. Defensively, he was every bit Grace's equal. He had a little more power than Grace. Um there I mean they're they're also the same kind of player. And I'm not dissing either guy. Mark Grace led the decade of the 90s in hits, Ray. I'm talking about pitch selection. He was not a guy who just went up there and slashed. I mean, he was, he had a, he I'm had a talking pretty, about production after you make your said pitch selection, too. Mark Grace was one of the great, undecorated, not going to be a Hall of Famer uh, hitters of all time. But again, he's a guy who. Mark Grace was a contact hitter. Brandon yeah, Bell but, was not a contact hitter. No, I, the difference is, and there isn't it's much, of, much of one, Grace was always criticized because he, too, didn't hit a lot of home runs at a position that has been defined as that's a guy who needs to hit 30 a year for you. Right. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying they're the identical guy. They, you know, but they were both line drive hitters. You know, Grace got on more often. I'm not arguing that. But neither one of them were line drive hitters. They were both superb defensive players. I mean, in very much the same way that J.T. Snow was not unlike Mark Grace. It's just that contact hitters as first basemen have long ago gone out of fashion. And in the in the current baseball, they would try to figure out another position for Grace to play. Because they'd say, we can't have a guy hitting 13 home runs a year playing first base first. Well, they would have probably taken his swing and tried to uppercut it. You know, they, yeah. they talked about launch angle with Mark. And Mark would have said, that's a real good way to... Uh, ruin what is 
one of the best professional at bats you're going to get. But, but I don't know they if they would if, try to do that. If Brandon Belt was raised in an era of launch angle. I don't think he's hitting 40 home runs in any year. We'll oh. see what he does up in Toronto if he can stay healthy enough to do it. But here he is. Here are his final numbers with San Francisco. 12 seasons, 1,310 games, 16th most of all time. Here is definitely a bet that you can win in a bar tonight. Is Brandon Belt a top 10 all-time extra base hitter in franchise history? The answer is yes. Yeah, because he hit a ton of doubles. Eighth all-time in extra base hits in franchise history. Tied 10th all-time in doubles in franchise history with 267. His extra base hits, he had 478. 18th all-time in plate appearances. Third all-time in strikeouts. That's why you don't put his name in Mark Grace's name together in the same sentence. No, but you can because they were in many ways a similar player. Yeah, I, I, mean, I know he's your favorite guy, and I'm not trying to touch the third rail, but they were both contact hitters. Grace got better contact. At no point in time was Brandon Belt a contact hitter, right? No, he certainly was, because he wasn't a guy who drove the ball deep. And I'm not even allowing for people to say ballpark bias, because he played in a bigger ballpark than Grace did. But the truth is... They were both guys who did not hit a lot of home runs. They did not hit a lot of fly balls. Brandon Belt can be legitimately called a contact hitter because the alternative to being a contact hitter is either being not a hitter, which he wasn't, or a power hitter, which he also wasn't. No, that's not that's not the only two types of hitters. Brandon Belt was a line drive hitter more than he was a contact hitter. And let me just bring up Mark Grace's stats here to let me show you what a contact hitter's career batting average looks like. Because Brandon Belt's career batting average was... Uh, where is his career? 261. 261. Mark Grace. 308. All right. That is a cavernous difference. But that's, cavernous. But Just that's the loss the only, on this one, right? You're not. The only, they're not comparable. No, they are comparable. No, they're not. They absolutely are. And because Mark Grace is your favorite player ever, I get why you're passionate about it. But neither of them were big drivers of the baseball. Right, but Mark and Grace was never viewed by an entire franchise as a massive disappointment. Mark Grace was. Mark Grace was a 300 hitter rolling out of bed, man. At a time when 300 meant a lot more than it does now. I mean, you yourself just said it. They would have changed. If he was playing now, they'd have changed his swing. They'd, and, and if he didn't change his swing, he probably wouldn't have played. That's how much baseball's changed in 20 years. Seventh all-time in walks. Another bet you're going to make tonight because Brandon Belt never had gaudy home run totals. Tenth all time, which is an indictment on the whole freaking franchise that 175 home runs is the tenth most in franchise history. I mean, it's that's insane. Uh, he's 27th all time in runs scored. 1,146 hits. That's 29th in team history. Again, how many? Uh, yeah. Uh, Mark Grace, 2,445 hits in his career, which was 16 years long. Well, that's, that's much more significant. Just in Chicago, uh, Mark Grace, 2,201 hits, and he was 13 years in Chicago. Um, 
you know, you got to be, you know, 2,000-ish hits, to, at the very least, to be call yourself a, a contact hitter. Uh, anyway, uh, here is Brandon Belt's, got to give him this, 323 postseason slugging percentage. As And, and he, and he, he could have won a gold glove. He absolutely probably should have won a gold glove at some point in time in his career, uh, where he gets over on everyone who ever criticized him. $105 million in career earnings for Brandon Belt with another, what has he got, nine-plus coming his way with Toronto. He's one of the 35, 40 greatest position players in the history of the San Francisco Giants, and we should all be so lucky to be that successful no matter what we end up doing for a living. You know what I mean? He, He was good. No, and no, I don't think there's any question he was good, but people were unhappy with the way he was good. That's the difference. They all viewed him as, he's the guy who's supposed to hit the home runs that we're not getting from any other position. But he wasn't a home run hitter, and he never was. And it's not just the ballpark that depressed that number, because he didn't hit a ton of home runs on the road either. He that, This is just who he was. And... You know, people will always say, gee, what could he have been? When that's not the question. It's what was he? Somebody here from the 415 says he has no crowning achievement. I just played an 18th inning home run in the postseason that ended the longest playoff game in the history of Major League Baseball. That's pretty good. That's that's pretty good moment right there. Pretty good moment. So anyways, look, we have... uh, we got an awful lot coming up in less than a half an hour from now. Peter King joins us on 95.7 The Game for a comprehensive talk about who the 49ers are going into this postseason, who the Geno Smith, Pete Carroll-led Seattle Seahawks are, and, and we will bounce around in what has been a news-heavy week for the entire uh, NFL, obviously, with everything that's coming up. Uh, the raw data on the 49ers season, look, they went undefeated in divisional play. They faced a division opponent on Saturday. They got a 10-game winning streak. Pete Carroll, in his weekly press conference, when was asked about how you know you got into the playoffs because the Lions did something that allowed you in there, he basically said, yeah, that's great. Look at the reward we got. So sunk into the, the being Lions fans, man. We love the Lions. Uh, Coach Campbell did a great job with his crew, and they played a fantastic football game to, to get the win, to give us the chance. So we're going to try to do something with it. Unfortunately, we're playing <laughs> the Niners, and they're loaded. And they're loaded and healthy and on a roll and about as hot as you could possibly get. And uh, doing it in a really commanding fashion, too, you know, with the young quarterback who's doing so well, just kind of would buck the odds, you know, that everybody would think you could do that. And uh, everybody in the media, anyway. Um, um, we'll see how we how we you know, get our guys back for this weekend. It's coming up quick with the Saturday ball game, and, and uh, uh, we've already started our week, and we're underway. You know, I've already seen people saying, well, Pete's up to something. Pete is up to something, throwing around all these compliments like manhole covers. Like, is he trying to butter up? What is he doing? Is he setting up an expectation, this underdog thing? Because we know Pete loves to play that underdog, rah-rah, everyone against us card. He's acutely aware of what is coming up his yeah. way on, on Saturday. I mean, this is a man who understands I am I'm going to be on the road against the best defense in football with a team that has absolutely got it going on offensively at the same time, who's won 10 in a row, which is real tough to do. He actually could have played the chip on our shoulders card and didn't. I mean, he paid 
proper respect to the Lions for helping them get into the playoffs. Uh, he acknowledged the fact that the 49ers are better. And the idea of buttering up a team in the NFL is so 1940s that it's it's laughable. I mean, the 49ers are going to, wow, Pete Carroll loves us. That really means a lot. We'll take him less seriously. Yeah, I won't try as hard because I don't want to hurt Pete's feelings. You know, there's nothing that Pete Carroll can do that doesn't involve him somehow figuring out how to have the better team on Saturday. And since he can't do that, there isn't a whole lot he can do except hope that he can create some turnovers on his side of the ball and make it so the 49ers have a difficult time. You know, maybe they steal a win. I'm not saying it's out of the question, but it's unlikely. But he knows you can't gaslight teams at this point. There's nothing to be said that's going to materially change the balance of power in this game. What's a fair number to put on just no points, just straight up chances that the Seattle Seahawks win this game? Would you bump it to a double digit? Is it is it ten percent? I think it's about fair. Every, every NFL team has ten percent chance to win just about every game that they're in. I would say in the playoffs, twenty five percent. Any team has a twenty five percent chance to win a game. Now, you'd have to do some extraordinary things to be a three to one underdog and win a game. But I think I think it's conceivable that they could win the game. It's not likely, but you could conceive a path to victory for them. If they somehow figured out how to stop Christian McCaffrey and they forced turnovers and they didn't commit any turnovers themselves, they'd have to play a nearly flawless game. And And I don't think teams that are nine and eight do that very often. They don't. The one thing where I'm like, watch your turnovers, full stop, protect the ball. That's key. Watch yourself on special teams, man. Pete's going to have some. Pete's going to go for it on fourth down straight up. In a probably situation, he might not go for it. He's going to be extra aggressive in this game. I would not be surprised to them to uncork a fake field goal, a fake punt in this game. If you're Pete Carroll, you're pulling out all the stops. You are are sitting at the table with house money right now. So you might as well gamble. Well, you you would gamble because you're not the better team. He doesn't have, actually, house money except the way people look at this game. The house money argument ends when the game starts because now it's 0-0. But if he wants to be cute, I think you'll see sort of different ways they attack the punter. You know, cute things like that. Just stuff on the margins. Because when you get too cute, and he's learned this as much as anybody, you burn yourself a hell of a lot more than you burn the other guy. He's going to try to steal a possession. I, I think they're going to try to steal a possession this weekend. Yeah. 888-957-9570 is the number. How do you think Pete Carroll's putting together a game plan? We also have the one and only Peter King joining us at 5 o'clock this afternoon. We're even going to hear from Kyle Shanahan, who's got good news in terms of injury front coming out of 49ers practice today. So stay tuned. Much more on the way. It's Damon and Ratto brought to you by Fremont Bank. Full service banking. No compromises. Now back to Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game.
The Road to Glendale brought to you by Merrill West Credit Union. Working for you today, tomorrow, together. Ray and I are here together. Hi, honey. Don't threaten me. Uh, we have Peter King coming up at 5 o'clock. No threats. That's a promise. He is going to be joining us. We have... Uh, we have a big football game coming up on Saturday. Again, it's amazing that this game, I had to, I had to like program it into my brain, not to say Sunday, not to say Sunday. It's the first game up on Saturday. I can't believe that. I, I, when have the 49ers ever gotten the first rung of a playoff ladder? Ever. Have they ever been a first game up? I, I can't, I can't no, remember. Usually, usually there's an East Coast game yeah. first. But and what's weird is there's also an East Coast game this day. The Jacksonville Jaguars are hosting a playoff game. That's East Coast. So it's just weird that they would flip the West Coast game on early and then a night game in Jacksonville. Well, they you might, know what they say about night games in Jacksonville, Ray. Yeah, they almost never have them. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe they've fallen in love with the quarterback duel because Justin Herbert and Trevor Lawrence are part of the army of young quarterbacks who are younger than Stetson Bennett and playing in the NFL playoffs. Maybe they know that the Niners are just such a ratings guaranteed hit. You can put them anywhere. They're going to get massive amounts of eyeballs. You put a less desirable brand of franchises in a later game, people will watch because they're a captive audience on a Saturday night. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I try not to think like television executives because, frankly, the brain bubbles alone will kill you. You'd be a lousy television executive. I'd be a great television executive because I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing. I would do a slapdash bad job like they do. Well, here's how the you The difference is they don't ever get fired. They cancel shows, they fire actors, they fire their underlings, but they always manage to stay employed. Here's how you win. It's the only way you win. You put on a football game. Did you see the amount of, of the top 100 rated shows? Like, there was... One Joe Biden State of the Union. There was another political moment that garnered a ratings win in that show cracking the top 100. There was the soccer game, the World Cup game that we all watched last year. Uh, there was, I believe, another World Cup game. There was two nights of Olympics but one of those nights of Olympics that was in the top 100 is because it followed the Super Bowl, which was 95 of the top 100 rated shows were football games of some nature, either NFL or major college. It, it, it's well, the, 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 the the NFL the, television shouldn't even say Samsung or Sony or Trinitron or Zenith on them. Trinitron. Anymore. I know, right? Wow. Like that. They shouldn't say that. They should say NFL somewhere on their side because that's why we buy televisions because that's all we're watching collectively. Well, yeah, because television, the actual physical television, is the only way to watch it well. It's not a great sport on the phone. Like, no sport is a great sport on the phone. And by and large, people who watch television are old folks. The one thing that transcends the old folks thing is football. That's in large part why they are doing what they are doing now. The other thing is the NBA has not yet garnered a large enough audience. Baseball's audience is diminishing. 
But for the most part, if you look at the non-football shows that the networks are putting on, they're putting on a revamp of Night Court. Yeah. I, I mean, they're, they're literally Which doing... Which in its originality, great show. Great oh, show. Oh, it was tremendous. But one of the guys that made it work is dead now. Which sort of hurts its value. So they put Melissa Rauch there. But I don't want to talk about that show. But most of them are old shows revamped, game shows that have never gone out of style, or, you know, Housewives of Name That City, or cooking shows. They're all stuff that largely elderly, sedentary people watch because that's what the television market is now. Football is the one thing that crosses over to younger audiences. And even at that, the average age of a football watcher in America is now mid-50s. Ten years ago, that's where baseball was. And base and football is trying to figure out a way to skew younger, and they are trying to do it desperately. They're trying to do it with the, the Nickelodeon games. They're trying to do that with you know the, the Manning cast. They're trying to reinvent what they're doing. And maybe in five years, they will have succeeded. But for right now, they are part of the same issue, which is their audience is skewing older. The like all the other audiences are skewing older. The national championship game was such a blowout last night. Everyone was basically out of there at halftime. There wasn't a lot to stick around for. TCU laid down and died. I guess the Pat McAfee simulcast. McAfee. McAfee yeah. Uh, that that was a, a little bit of a ratings winner for ESPN last night and just in terms of retention. And at that point, look, you needed something other than the game to concentrate on. Like, that's how out of pocket that game got. So that's probably why that that was successful. I'm not a... Uh, uh, he's a, he's sort of an entertaining guy, but, like, I get it. I Yeah, he's he's basically a... He's like a guy. He's an impressive one-trick pony. Yeah, he's a guy. He's, he's a guy you're talking sports with. Yeah, I mean, he's the sort of guy who Nick Saban would be horrified to be sitting next to. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, it, is he a former guy who played in the league? Yeah. If you play in the league, you don't have to really apologize for anything, especially you got a personality. He gets to wear a tank top. Unless who else a, wears a tank top a now? A punter. He's a punter. People it, are sticking around for stories. Yeah, but he was a great storyteller. He, he just good. happened to be a punter. I mean, look, he, he pulls it off, whatever it is. But in five years, I think he'll be played out only because I haven't seen a second gear from him yet. But he skews young, so that is his second gear. That's his longevity. Well, maybe it is, but you know what? Young people have a relatively short endurance for stuff they've already seen. They you know, want to know, what's the next thing you're going to show me? You know who unreasonably does well with a younger crowd? This show. Makes no sense, right? We're crushing it. In the twenty-five to what is it? What's it? What's the demographic? Twenty-five to dead. Twenty-five to, to uh, twenty-five with ears. What's the demographic? What's our demographic? How we doing, Lucas? Fight on. Lucas doesn't know. Luke, Lucas not opening the mic and and and. It, Lucas not awake. What are, what are we looking for for in terms of demographic? Twenty-five to fifty-four is that the key demographic in terms of the male? Yeah, I think that's right. Listener. Yeah. Hey, glad we did. We wake you up. What? <laughs> Are you are you are you twenty five to fifty four? Are you yeah. listening to the show right now, Lucas? Barely. Chris was distracting me. That's are you, his IQ. Are we asking about Pat McAfee? Because I actually tuned in for a couple minutes. Yeah. What'd you think? Uh, more entertaining than the game. That's a low bar to clear. In fact, it's an incredibly low bar to clear. It's the best way. I thought it was the most entertaining way to watch that game because there were like six of them spread out 
Yeah, it was, it was fine. Having their own commentary. Damon, your your demo is poor SOBs commuting. Yes. Well, that too. That too. But there's a lot of there's a lot of poor SOBs and that 25 to 54 gram demographic than you would imagine. As a matter of fact, that's we're, the workforce in America. We're less likely to put you to sleep on a day when you should be paying complete attention to what you're doing. Somebody says here, guys, I'm 29. I love you. Someone else volunteers. Hey, I'm 25 to 54. <laughs> that is a it is a big scope. Yeah, but that's what they want. That's that's how people make money. They sell to a younger demographic or they try to sell to a younger demographic. That's yes. That's how money is made. Uh, I'll tell you how money gets made in the postseason. Crypto. No, you show up and you show up healthy. Kyle Shanahan had this to say about 49ers team health this afternoon. Jimmy Garoppolo will not practice. Ambry Thomas ankle won't practice. Um, the rest of these guys will be limited. Flanagan fouls neck. Aaron Banks ankle knee. Greenlaw back. Armstead foot ankle. Kinlaw knee. McCaffrey knee. Um, Kevin Givens will be full today. Limited, 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 limited for everyone except for Kevin Givens. You're full. The only two guys who didn't practice today were Jimmy Garoppolo and Ambry Thomas, and there was no expectation that either would be practicing today. They're getting healthy. They are on the mend, and there is no better piece of news this team could have other than, oh, and you're starting your playoff path at home. You're healthy. You are at home. The 49ers... Usually don't get to say those two things out loud as postseason quests begin. Because they haven't been. There's always some nick, some ding, some bruise, somewhere to somebody. This is something else. This is a good situation to have. And speaking of health, right before we get to Peter King, I want to let everyone know that tonight, guess who is back on your radio? I heard this guy appeals to 25 to 54-year-olds. First name Stephen, last name Curry. He came into my life, now everything is less blurry. He's missed the last 11 games. Warriors did go 6-5 and five in those 11 games. That's good. Could have been a lot better. They really let go of the rope in their last two. Curry's missed a grand total of 14 games so far for the Warriors this year. He comes back tonight from his dislocated shoulder. It's the Phoenix Suns tonight and then off for a five-game road trip. Uh, San Antonio, Chicago, Washington, Boston, Cleveland. And as we were saying yesterday, Ray, you go two and three right there. That's uh, if, you, if you sold two and three right now to Steve Kerr, he might buy it. Maybe he rolls the dice because Curry is indeed back and Wiggins is back and Iguodala is in the room. So he'd be like, ah, screw that. I'll, 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 I'll take my chances. But two wins on the road is basically the full bucket of road wins that they have to this point in the year so far. So you know, don't, yeah, I, don't sneeze at that either. No, I think he would want three and two because he's got guys back. The, the one game I think they don't have much of a shot in is, is the back-to-back at the tail end of the road trip, but I think he Boston would, Cleveland. Yeah, I think I think you he can would, put three days in between those games. They might lose both. Maybe, but you know, Cleveland Cleveland's a funny team. You know, sometimes if they're they're a very much a, a make shot miss shot team. Um, I mean, the other you know, the other night they weren't very good, but I think they he would look at winning in San Antonio. I think the Bulls are, you know. They're barely hanging on to a play-in spot. 
and Washington's below that mark. I think you would look at those three games as not only winnable, but games in which they can reassert who they are defensively. Boston and Cleveland will be much tougher, especially back-to-back, because you know that Curry and Wiggins and whoever else they've got active, some of them are not going to play one of those. We officially have our audience with the king ready to go. Let me welcome everyone to your 5 o'clock hour. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love. Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 